Well, good morning. It certainly is a privilege to be with you here today. It's actually not the first Sunday of the year, but it's first full weekend, I think. So, well, if you have your Bible, I encourage you to open it to Ephesians chapter chapter one. Before we read our text, I just want to say just a few few comments uh, about what's going on with Converge and uh, and uh, and your partnership with us. Um, you know, I was uh, I actually stayed downtown last night by the by the archway, and I was reminded that 25 years ago I took a couple church planters up into the arch, and we prayed that um, you know a lot a lot of people think um, you know you come into a city and you 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 get take it by storm right and uh, and my thought has always been no we're just looking to see where God's working. And we just want to join him. And uh, and I took these two church planters up in the up in the the archway, and we prayed for both sides of the river. And we said, God, you know, you've led us here in St. Louis, and um, we just want to join what you're doing. We want to see you do things that we can't understand or imagine. And your church is one of those. Answers to prayer. Your church is one of those answers to prayer. And by God's grace, we've gone from two churches 25 years ago to over 20-some churches in the St. Louis and Southern Illinois area. And uh, very grateful for your partnership. Uh, We always talk about we're better together because we can do more things together than we can do apart. And uh, because of your church's partnership with us, we are better Together, impacting more lives for the kingdom of God, and uh, and recently we've expanded our reach into now 15 states in 27 countries. Uh, we basically took over a region and uh, and really are helping them. A 10-year plan to help them get restarted and reignited, and uh, so we took over the southeast region of Converge. Converge had 11 regions, now 10, because uh, one's under us. But, um, um, and so I just came back from uh, St. Croix, where we have five churches on this island, and we just added our fifth church, and just had a great time welcoming in this new church into the family, of, of the Converge family. And, uh, and we, we have a list of over 100 churches that want to join us and that we're working through and making sure the right churches join us. And, uh, and so I have a whole team and staff over that now. But uh, things, are, things are really progressing well in, in our ministry and um, um, in our impact. And uh, in your contribution, your partnership with us helps, helps us continue to spread the gospel. Uh, not only, you know... Um, here in St. Louis, um, but around, around the world. And so I want to say thank you. Thank you, church. Thank you for being a part of that. All right. Uh, one of the things, uh, there's a prayer card on the back, and, and I really uh, encourage you to take one of those. We really see ourselves. I don't see myself as a denominational official. I've always been a regional missionary. 
Back in the day, they used to, my title would, would be a state missionary, and that's really the attitude that our whole team takes now, is that we're missionary, regional missionaries representing your church uh, in, in our region. And so uh, there's a prayer card out there. I encourage you to grab that and pray for us when you, when, because uh, we're completely dependent on the, the, the prayer support, the financial support of our churches to see our mission go forward. So, well, let me read our text today. Uh, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 to 23. And, you know, it, I've been studying Paul's prayers and actually doing it, I'm actually writing a book on Paul's prayers. There's never been a, as far as I can tell, there's not been a book written on the chronological uh, 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 view of Paul's prayers. Paul has written, you know, around 30-some prayers in his letters, written out prayers, and, uh, and, you know, the content of our prayers really matters. And when you study the prayers of the apostles, um, you, really, you really get to understand content. And, uh, and so it's just been fascinating for me as I've been working through these prayers. I'm up to, I'm up to prayer 18 now, and actually right in Ephesians, and... Uh, and as we, as we continue working through them, just learning some of the, the great things about, about, uh, about Paul. Because it's very interesting that his first letter he wrote to the church in Galatian, there really wasn't a prayer. Because he was mad at them. Okay? So he's just basically kind of confronting them on the truth, right? And uh, uh, he was very concerned for their souls. And, and, uh, but then, in Thessal- then his, his next church that he helped start, the letter he wrote to the church in Thessalonica... You know, he basically there were six prayers in both of the letters that uh, he wrote to them. And so it's just been fascinating uh, as I've been learning it. But today we're going to look at uh, one of the prayers. There's three prayers in the book of, of in, the, in Paul's letter to the Ephesian church. And the first, the first one is verses uh, 3 to 14, which is really a prayer of praise and thanksgiving. And you see Paul moving through this as he starts out this, he lifts his heart uh, to God in front of these, in these believers. And, and we need to realize that Paul is actually probably chained to a Roman guard as he's dictating this. And someone else is writing it for him. But he's, he's basically, he's, he's dancing between adoration, love for God, and thanksgiving for all the blessings that God has uh, poured upon him. And then there's this prayer in, that we're going to look at today. Uh, which is I call a prayer of enlightenment, a prayer of enlightenment. And then in chapter 3, verses uh, 14 to 21, there's a prayer of empowerment. He prays for the church. And so today we're going to look at this prayer of enlightenment. But let me read it and pray, and then we'll dig in. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. 
That power is the same as his mighty strength, which he exerted when he raised Jesus from the dead and seated him at the right hand in heavenly realms. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that can be invoked, not only in this present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come before you now as your children. And Lord, we, we can run before your throne as, as like a little child running into their father's arms. And so, Father, we come. We come boldly. We come confidently. We come with, with, a, with, a, with a great sense of freedom, all because of what Christ has done for us. And we come today, Lord, and we ask, we ask you to speak through your spirit to the hearts of your people. For those who need a word of encouragement, I pray, Father, that, that your Holy Spirit and the word would come and, and just zero in and lift up their souls today. Blow fresh wind into their spirits for your honor and glory. For those who might need a word of, of correction, I pray, Lord, that they will receive it as a word from you. Maybe it's to correct a thought pattern. Maybe it's to correct a behavior. But I pray, Lord, that they'll receive that from you and that will have a transformational effect on their hearts and souls and lives. And maybe there's those who need a, need a challenge, need a New Year challenge for uh, they've been kind of coasted in their faith, and maybe they need a, a challenge to rise and to grow in a certain area. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you, you will move in the hearts of your people. In Jesus' precious name, amen, amen. You know, I was uh, <clears throat> working with a, a denomination up in, uh, actually, the the. Uh, our, our old partners, we, we have uh, beat Baptist General Conference churches in Canada. And, uh, and they were partners for us for years. And then in the 80s, they became their own entity. And so now we're working and consulting with them and helping them. And I'm working with their president, and we're in a coaching session. And, uh, um, and he, I just asked him, how are you doing? How's things going, you know? What's your attitude like? What are you feeling? And he used this word that really helped me, um, exp it helped explain my feelings of going through COVID and all the stuff related to that, right? And, and now hopefully we're, we're coming out of it, right? And we know that this is probably something that's going to be here a long time, but we're coming out of it. And, uh, and I, we're seeing our churches come out of it. But, but the word he used really resonated with my soul and just kind of just, I went, oh, there's, there's a word now that explains what I've been experiencing. And, you know, unfortunately, I had COVID early in 2020, and, uh, um, and it was pretty traumatic. And I don't want anybody to go through that, <laughs> right? And, uh, but, um, 
Um, anyway, the word that he used was languishing. Languishing. And that just helped me identify my emotions, my feelings of all that I was experiencing. I just, he just said, I feel like I'm languishing. I'm languishing personally. I'm languishing spiritually. I'm languishing emotionally. I'm just, I just like, you know, just what COVID has done for us, right, and done to us. Well, Paul, Paul, in his, you know, as he's praying, he's, he goes through this, starts off praising God for all these great things, and now he's praying that it will impact their hearts, their souls, their minds, their lives, right? And he offers this prayer. And so he offers this prayer of enlightenment, this prayer of having an ever-expanding view of who God is in all that God has done for us. And so today, we're going to take a look at kind of three, three big ideas uh, of how Paul kind of helped this church and prayed for this church and how we can pray for each other and how we can uh, em- embrace this into our hearts and minds and souls. And the first thing, first thing, if we're to become an enlightened church, a church that has an ever-expanding view of who God is, is really cultivating a, a, what, what I would say a grateful attitude or a thankful spirit. Paul, in his first words, he says, for this reason, right, and you got to go back, this reason, right, to basically go back to the first 13 verses, 14 verses, for this reason, you know, I've ever, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I've not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. See, Paul, if we're going to if we're going to experience any sense of enlightenment, we got to start with a with a grateful heart or a thankful spirit. And Paul says, because of the great things that God has done in you, and how you are manifesting them. In your community, two marks, two marks of, a, of, a, of, a, of a Christian are, are, are one, our faith and our love for God's people. Our faith and our love for God's people. And Paul gives, this, he, he gives thanks, and it's amazing how so many of Paul's letters, he, is, he starts off with this gratitude for what God is doing in the hearts of his people. It's interesting. It's interesting in the in the Corinthian church, he didn't have a lot to be thankful about because they were in trouble. But he starts off in, in, in Corinthians, he starts off with this prayer of thanksgiving to God. He goes, I'm thanking God because God is big enough to handle you. <laughs> and uh, and and it's just amazing how he, he just he still starts with that 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 spirit of thanksgiving in his heart. We've got to work at it. Thanksgiving isn't something that just comes natural to us. It's something that I think that needs to be cultivated in our lives. And we see this by Paul. Paul was, Paul, Paul looked, you know, there, there's basically three ways, that, you know, three ways we can cultivate a thankful attitude. One, expect God to work in others, be at work in others. Paul was writing this letter, sending this communication to this church because he was expecting God to do great things in this church. Look, look then look for the ways God's at work in people. There are some things that only God can do in the human heart. Only God can change human hearts. 
I believe only God can, can cultivate generosity, right? And, and where people release their, 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 their resources that they've, they've been entrusted with to the Lord. So look for what God's doing in others. And then lastly, tell them. Tell them how God's at work in their lives. You know, one of the things, you know, we think, we think we're boosting people's egos when we say thank you to people or we say encouraging things to them. No, we're not boosting. That's not, that's not Christian thanksgiving, right? That's not Christian encouragement. What Christian encouragement is, is we are identifying what God is doing in them and we're saying, thank you. I see God at work in your life. I see God at work in your heart, your mind, and soul. How many of you like to get uh, little thank you notes? Only a couple of you? <laughs> we all love to get these thank you notes. And, and I'm so surprised that when I write thank you notes to people, and I, I write them often, you know, that, that people come back and they'll go, you know, it, for, for me, it's just chicken scratch. I mean, I write a thoughtful note, but I'm, my penmanship isn't the greatest. And, and it's just like, it always comes out like chicken scratch. And, and, uh, and, but people come back and go, wow, thank you, thank you. I had a pastor once asked me, he said, he said, we have this funny thing in our church where they don't, the people don't, um, uh, are ex- expecting the pastor not to know what people give. And I said, well, that, that's okay. You know, that's okay. I said, but I still think you should thank them for their giving. And I encouraged him to write a hundred thank you notes to the giving families of his, of, uh, of his church. And this is an older church. It's been around 130 years. It's a growing church, dynamic church. And, uh, and so he, he took up the challenge. He wrote 100 thank you notes to the members of his church. And he said, Gary, I, and I asked him like three months later, how'd it go? And he goes, did you get any criticisms or anything like that? He goes, you wouldn't believe what happened. He said, I had people coming in with these crimpled up notes I wrote saying, no one has ever thanked us like this before. We've been giving here for 30, 40 years. No one's ever thanked us like this before. And, uh, and then, you know, person after person came into his office just saying those things. And, and then one man came in and, and, uh, and knew the church was on an expansion, working on a future expansion project. And he just said, he said, Basically said, I'm going to give. I'm basically going to give a million dollars, and I know there's two other people in this church that can give a million dollars to this next project. And it just released, a, you know, this thankfulness released a generosity, right? So we can't take it for granted. I remember my wife wrote a thank you note to the treasurer of our church, um, uh, at the church we attend now. And I could still see his wife's face running across the foyer with the thank you note in her hand saying, thank you so much for writing this note because no one knows all the work he does behind the scenes. Can I encourage you to be a church filled with encouragement and thanksgiving? Maybe take some time out this week to write a thank you note to someone you know who works behind the scenes, right? Write a thank you note to your pastor. Pastors need encouragement, right? Write a thank you note to those who are working with the kids and 
uh, doing all the behind-the-scenes things of your church. Because one of the things, one of the marks of a healthy, growing, vibrant church is it's a church filled with encouragement, filled with encouragement and hope. And that's the pathway to, to enlightenment, to experiencing the greatness of God. They have an ever-expanding view of who God is. The second, the second thing we see is Paul prays for them to know God better. It's interesting. Verse 17, he says, I keep asking, and it says, I keep on asking, right, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation for this purpose so that you will know him better. So that you will know God better. Do you know God better today than you did a month ago, two months ago, six months ago? See, we all need to be growing in our knowledge of who God is. But what does it mean to know God better? What does it mean to know God better? Well, it's, 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 you know, when I first became a Christian, I thought it was just pumping my brain with factual knowledge, right? Just getting, just dumping enough Bible in my brain so that, so that I could get to know God better. Well, that's very important. It's very important that we be students of the word, we be people of the word. But it's not everything. It's not the only thing. It's more than just dumping factual knowledge into our heads. It's more than, I thought if I could just be more passionate and more zealous about prayer and about sharing my faith, that I'd get to know God better. Well, it's, it's more than that. It's more than zealous energy. It's more than, it's more than a warm, fuzzy feeling. I came to Christ out of the, out of the drug culture of the 70s, and, and we, used to go to, we used to go to a Bible church in the morning, and then we used to go to a Pentecostal church in the evening, and then we'd always you know, come walking out of the Pentecostal church. Did you get the Holy Spirit buzz? No. Only those in the 70s would understand what that is. But anyway, but, uh, but, you know, but it, you, the bottom line is it's more than that warm, tingly, fuzzy feeling that we experience, right? And we have those experiences, and they're great, but they don't last, right? It's knowing God is more than all those three things together. Here's my little definition of what it means to know God. Knowing God is an intimate awareness of God's character and desires which finds its source in the Holy Spirit. Knowing God is an intimate awareness of God's character and desires which finds its source in the Holy Spirit. Where do I get that from the text? Well, Paul uses these two words. He uses the word revelation and wisdom. Revelation and wisdom. He says that, that you may have the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you will know him better. Let's talk about revelation first. Revelation is the unveiling of God's character in desires deep within our heart. That's the miracle. It's the miracle of salvation. That's the miracle of growing in our relationship with God and with, with Christ. It's when God, God, God in his holiness reveals his holiness to you. God in his mercy reveals his unconditional love to you. Right? And I'll never forget as a young 20-something going to, to a church service in a, in, a, in a stadium and hearing Billy Graham preach. And it was literally like Billy Graham reached up with his hands and grabbed me by the collar and said, Gary, I've got something important to say to you today. 
God unveiled his holiness in my heart, and I felt, I felt confused, convicted. And then he began talking about the love of Jesus, and he revealed the love of Jesus in my heart, and I became alive to the things of God. It's the, un- it's the unveiling of God's character and desires deep within our heart. But wisdom is the, is the expressing of God's character and desires. Now, you know, I've raised, raised two, two teenage boys, and when they would go out on Friday nights, I would tell them, I would give them a little holiness training, okay? And it was basically like this. Remember, guys, sin's a boomerang. That's what I would say. Sin's a boomerang. What you throw out there is going to come back. There'll be consequences, right? And, uh, and every time I said that, it reminded me that sin's a boomerang. And there are consequences to my actions. And, uh, and, and so, so that's, that's how you know, we... So it's experiencing and expressing God's character and desires. Wisdom is the expressing of God's character and desires to others. There were times in the light, our family life where I had to show my children unconditional love. Unconditional love. And when I showed them that unconditional love, I experienced God's unconditional love in a deep and powerful way. So it's, it's not only this experiencing the unveiling, but it's the expressing the wisdom, the wisdom of God is, the, is just the know-how, right? It's the know-how. And applying that. And every time, every time we love someone unconditionally, every time we are merciful to somebody, we experience God's mercy. We get to know God's mercy in a deep, deeper and more personal way. Well, Paul doesn't leave us, leave us there. Paul basically now ratchets, ratchets his prayer up. As he's praying for this, this church, he takes it to a new level. He says, he, says, he says in verse 18, And I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he's called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. The eyes of our hearts, Right? What's he talking about there? The eyes of our hearts. He's basically talking about the the center of our being, the core of who we are. That we will will see God in fresh and new and powerful ways. You know, we live in a world that wants to shrink our picture of God every day. Our world does not want us to see God as great and glorious and merciful and compassionate they want them, they, you know, the, the devil and his, his, his army is just is trying to shrink people's vision of who God is and what God has done for them. You know, I remember hearing a story about a woman who, who was suffering with cancer, and the person asked her, what's your picture of God in this moment and what you're going through? And she said this, my picture of God is that God has his hands in his pockets and he doesn't want to help me. Now that was her true, valid experience, right? 
And what she needed was a Christian friend to come alongside her and say, you know, I know that's what you're feeling. I know that's what you're experiencing. But the Bible tells us that God's hands are not in his pockets, that they're outstretched to you. And that those hands have holes in them, representing the fact that he died for you. And what he wants to do now is he wants to wrap his arms of love around you and carry you through this painful season of your life. I remember talking to a young man who got in trouble with the law. And I asked him, what's your picture of God as you're going through this? He says, well, he's the, he's the big boss. That's what he said. I said, well, yeah, you're right. He is the big boss. There is no bigger boss than, than God. But you're not getting the whole picture. The whole picture is that his arms are open to you and he wants to wrap his arms of love around you and pull you close to him and carry you through this mess you got yourself into. If you were to close your eyelids, what would be the picture on the back of your eyelids of God today? Paul is praying that you have an ever-expanding view of who God is. And not only for who God is, but what God has accomplished. And that's why he starts off those first, first, third, first part of this chapter, just ex- an explosion of praise. There's one author who talks about it, it's a sweep of praise that God, that, that, that Paul offers us to get a glimpse of all that God has done for us and uh, all of who he is and all that he's done for us. Well, Paul prays this prayer. He prays it, and he basically says, if you get an ever-expanding view of who God is, there's, a, there's an application. He says, and he says in, order that, in order that, three things, in order that you may know the hope to which you're called, in order that you may know the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and in order that you may know and experience his incomparably great power. See, for Paul, this isn't just theory. This is now personal. This is powerful in his, in his daily life. And, and, there, and, and I like to say there's three marks of people, who, three marks that God presses on people who have an ever-expanding view of who God is. And the three marks are, one, they become a person of hope. Not just hope so or wish for, but a heavenly confidence that God is for us and not against us. A hope that permeates our lives. You know, as, as, as followers of Christ, we are to just be filled with hope, right? Like a sponge, when you soak up a sponge and you, you fill it all to its, you know, full of water, right? And you just touch it a little bit, and what's it, what's it ooze out? It oozes out water. Right, And we as believers should be so filled with hope that when we get bumped in life, what oozes out of us? Hope. Jesus and hope. And then he goes on and talks about immense worth. We're marked with immense worth, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. That's what the first 13 verses are about. I think there's 10 
10, nine or 10 uh, spiritual blessings that we have in Christ. And Paul, Paul, Paul writes in the first verse, verse three says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. Every spiritual blessing. You know, there's a little phrase, count your blessings. Do you know how many spiritual blessings you have in Christ? Do you experience them on a daily basis? You know, the old, the old motivational speakers, they would tell you to go out and do your daily affirmations, right? You know, have you ever been to one of those seminars where they're, they're telling you, you know, hey, you're the smartest, you're the greatest, you know, all that, all that stuff. You just look in the mirror and tell yourself that. That always felt cheap to me for some reason. But here's the thing. We need to take the divine affirmations and we need to repeat them to ourselves to remind us who we are in Christ and the worth we have as God's people, as God's church, in God's kingdom economy. That we are of immense worth and value. And then, lastly, he talks about a deep inner strength. He says, I want you, I want, and I want you to experience this incomparably great power for us who believe. And he lists down that, that that power is the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. It's the same power that ascended Jesus into the heavenlies. And it's the same power that Jesus uses to rule the universe for the benefit of the church. It's great power. It's divine power. And he basically says, you can experience that deep within your soul. You know, another word we've been using through COVID is resiliency, right? I think COVID's really tested the resiliency of our pastors, of our parishioners. It's really tested it. But we can have deep inner strength that pushes us beyond the quitting points, the quitting points of life, into the arms of Christ. Well, what happens when a church has an ever-expanding view of God? Because remember, this is, a, this is actually a communal letter. It's not, a pers- it's not an individual letter. It's a communal one. And so there are three things. When, when a church has an ever-expanding view of who God is, they first become a safe place. If they're a place of hope, they become a safe place for, for any, no matter where people are in their spiritual journey. If they're, if, they're, if they're marked, if they're living in the immense worth of Christ's spiritual blessings, they become a blessing to the world around them. And I love your vision of just impacting this community, being a blessing to your neighborhood here. And then here's the thing, is when they get deep inner strength, they become an unstoppable force they become an unstoppable force in the world. When my, uh, my kids were little, we took them on a on fishing trip. <clears throat> and uh, we go up to Canada, drive up 15 hours into northern uh, into Ontario, and, um, <clears throat> and we'd go on this, it's called the English River. And we went there for years and years and years. And, 
and uh, with my dad and my 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 uh, brothers and my nephews, and it was it was a real guy trip, right? And so when our kids were little, they would stick a fire in the uh, stick a stick in the fire, right? And you know they say poke the, poke the stick in the fire, and they get the end red hot, and then they do do this. Woo! look at my little torch, dad, you know. And and, uh, now if moms were there, they'd say, put down that stick. But this was a guy trip and the dads were kind of oblivious what was going on anyway. And uh, and so we just watched them do it. Well, then my kids got older, right? And and the the little, the stick in the fire thing, woo, woo, wasn't cutting it. So they came to me and they said, I want to build a, dad, we want to build a torch. And I said, okay. First, I was thankful that they came and asked me that they wanted to build a torch. And I said, so I was, in, I was curious. I said, well, tell me how, how you know, what's, how are you going to do that? And, uh, and, uh, and so they said, well, you know, Tyler, that's my nephew. He, he goes, you know, he, he left his clothes out, you know, and it got ruined in the rain and stuff. And, and we dried out his sock. And we're going to use one of his socks. And we're going to wrap it around the stick that we got. And then we're going to take... And uh, wrap twine around that, Dad. And then, you know, the big vat of cooking oil <clears throat> that you use to fry the fish up that we catch every day? And I said, yeah. And he said, we're going to dip it in there, Dad. And we're going to soak it up with the cooking oil. And then, and then we're going to light it up tonight. And I said, well, number one, you're not going to stick that stinky sock in our cooking oil. Okay? That was the first thing. I had to make that correction. But, you know, I kind of got excited about this. So I said, we'll pour oil, you know, on the sock, out of the jug, right? And we'll pour oil, or some of the leftover oil, we'll, we'll do that. So, so throughout the day, we poured and soaked up this, this sock full of cooking oil and all this stuff. So the night came, and my middle son, he, it was his idea, so he was the one who gets to light the torch. So he lights this torch, and uh, um, he, uh, he puts the torch in the fire, and um, all of a sudden, it just went whoosh. And like, I'm kind of freaking out because we're like two hours from any hospital, okay? And uh, I'm like, how am I going to explain this? My son goes up in flames, you know? Uh, <laughs> and uh, so anyway, he lights it and, and just like, it kind of got out of control. And his, his, his eyes went from excitement to, let's hold this torch, hold this torch. And... Uh, and so he's holding it, and, and, and all of a sudden, it just turned into this perfect torch. I think we have a picture of a torch here, don't we? You can just go to that slide there. Yep. And, uh, and so he's got this, he's got this torch, and, and all of a sudden, his face goes, he's got this joy, this glee on his face. He's holding this great torch up. And, and, uh, and, and I, said, I said, hey, go down and walk down the dirt road, and let's see how far it lights up the lights up the area. So they're going down, walking down, and my nephews are following him, and he's holding this torch, and it's just eating away the darkness. And then I said, well, why don't you, I'll go up on the, on the point up here, and you guys go down on the river where we fish, and let me see if I can see you, you know, from there. And so they walk down the dirt road around and come out from behind a group of trees, and then they emerge out of the trees, and, and my son's standing on a rock on the river, and he goes, hey, I said, yes, son, I can see you. And then all of a sudden, the Lord spoke to me and said, Gary, that's what the church is supposed to look like. A light 
in a dark world, providing warmth and safety and love and hope to a world that so desperately needs it. And the Lord, you know, that was a picture for me in that moment of the church. Well, years later, I saw the, the Olympics. The, you know, they always light a torch, right? In the Olympics, they always light a torch. And uh, Mike Irizoni, he was the captain of the 1980 Miracle on, Miracle on Ice hockey team. And years later, in the Salt Lake Olympics, they came back and invited him to be the person to light the, light the larger cauldron. And I think we have a picture of him standing there. And he's standing there. They asked him to do this. But he was a team captain. You know, one of the greatest things he did is, and he said, I'm not going to light this myself. So what's he do as a team captain? He invites the whole team to come up. I think we have the next picture. We can see the pictures where the whole team comes up, and now they're going to lean in. I think the next picture shows them leaning in and lighting a larger cauldron. So that that individual torches us every day walking out of this church and going into our homes and our communities, our workplaces, with the light of Christ shining through us. But then when we gather together, what? We're collectively a group. A group coming in and lighting a larger cauldron to shine the light of Christ to a world that so desperately needs it. See? See? Paul's prayers are prayers full of substance, prayers full of meat, are prayers that help enlighten our souls and light up our lives so that we can touch the world with the hope of Jesus. And that's my prayer for you. And we are so so thankful and glad to be partnering with you and helping you get into this facility and all those things and to see you continue to grow and make an impact, not only here in this community, but collectively throughout St. Louis, Southern Illinois, and throughout the U.S., and throughout the whole world, for God's glory. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come before you, and we thank you for the wonder of knowing who you are, and what you've done for us. May that knowledge be expanded and deepened in our heart to impact our souls, our minds, our lives, that we will be lit up. We'll be lit up with Jesus and his hope and love for the world. So Father, I pray that as Paul prayed, that the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened, that we may know your hope, we may have the promises, the blessings of God embedded in our hearts and souls, and that we will know and experience the power of Christ reigning in our lives and permeating through us for his honor and for his glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Do you stand with me?
Thou my 